The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media. With you in studio today is not Pootie, uh, but uh, Pnate is here, and uh, I'm all alone. I'm here. It's December 27th, which means it's between Christmas and New Year's. We hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and we hope you do have a wonderful New Year. But because it's the 27th, we don't anticipate that uh, that you're going to be listening on the 27th. So whenever you get to this, uh, I hope I have a special treat for you. We wanted to take a little bit of time to uh, spend with our families and uh, take a little bit of break over the Christmas season. So a couple of weeks ago, when we got snowed in on Hoth, uh, our Dave, our sound guy Dave, rigged up a sermon for you to listen to one of the Advent sermons from Crossroads Alliance Church, where I pastor, and uh, and you heard one of the sermons that I preached this month in December. Today, you actually get an opportunity to hear the very the 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 rebel Chris Poots Pooty Pooty Tang delivering a sermon at Crossroads Alliance Church. So this is just a couple of weeks after uh, the sermon that you last heard from me. This is Chris uh, preaching on what Christmas means and what it means moving forward through history. So um, Chris is going to get an opportunity to, uh, to preach and uh, you're going to get an opportunity to listen. As we, before we get into that, we just, I just want to say, uh, remind you that we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Uh, there's a lot of us who are kind of taking a little bit of a break over Christmas, but that's the Two Thieves, the Layman's Cup, and the Front Pew Podcast. You can find all of us at www.bereanmedianetwork.com. And uh, we're all looking forward to coming back strong in the new year with new content, some crossover shows, some big guests, and uh, we hope you'll stick around for that. But for today, I hope that you have uh, uh, an opportunity to, to listen in, and uh, this is what goes on at Crossroads Alliance Church when Pootie takes the pulpit. Enjoy. I begged Pastor Nate to let me preach this week, mostly so I could clear up one drastic, erroneous teaching that he's been telling you for the last few weeks. And that is that the Patrick Stewart version of the Christmas Carol is the best version. Let me assure you that is not the case. The Michael Caine Muppets Christmas Carol, (laughs) amen, service over, uh, is the best version of a Christmas Carol. The Muppets are a great movie. So if you're going to watch one in this next week as we lead into Christmas with your family, make it be that one. That's in serious note, but I was excited when Pastor Nate asked me to preach this service this week because I believe in Christmas miracles and him giving up his pulpit is a miracle. Um, So (laughs) that's two already, Uh, so that's good. 
Let us dive right in this, this morning into what God has for us to say. Our text this morning, I know you didn't get a handout in your bulletins this week. I apologize for that. Um, unfortunately, time goes fast when you're working full-time and preparing for a sermon. So you're going to have to just take notes the old-fashioned way in your mind or in your cellular devices. Um, so let's open up. We're, ch- we're in Hebrews chapter 1, which might seem strange to be a Christmas text. Um, I have all these things in my Bible, but it's what I've been thinking about over the last few weeks as I prepared this service. That Hebrews 1 really highlights a lot of what we've been going over. So I want to start right in verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Nat struck me this week as I was preparing. That reminds me of Christmas past. We've looked over the last few weeks about Christmas past, that before the first Christmas, God's people looked ahead with faithful anticipation that God would keep his promises. We looked at throughout history, God promised he would send his rescuer. We saw how he promised Abraham that he would be a blessing through all the nations. We saw how he revealed pieces of the promise to Micah, Hosea, Ruth, Daniel, Isaiah, many more. We even saw at the very moment of the fall, in our darkest hour, that God right away promised that he would send somebody who would crush the head of the snake and bring us back to him. God, from the very beginning, was pointing us to Christ. He was showing us from the start who he would send. So often we read the Old Testament and we think we are the heroes of the story, that we're David or we're Samuel or we're Abraham, but all of those stories in the Old Testament point us to one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. He is the hero hero of the story. God tells us in his word who Jesus will be when he comes. He will be wonderful counselor. We sung these words this morning. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Snake Crusher, the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus has many names. And throughout Christmas past, we looked and we saw how God's people would look to him to be those things, and we saw how God would fulfill his promise in Christ. This text also reminds me of what we spoke about last week. We talked about Christmas present, how in the greatest miracle, as C.S. Lewis said, God left heaven, was born of a man, how the creator of the universe, the heir of all things, orchestrated circumstances, the minute details of his birth, to perfectly fulfill the promises about him. We saw how the unique circumstances of Christ's birth point to his unquestioned divinity. We saw how the prophecies of the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus, that he would be called the Nazarene, that he would be called out of Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin. We saw how Jesus, conceived by the the Holy Spirit, makes him fully divine. That shows us that only God could orchestrate the rescuing of humanity. Only through God could salvation come. But we also saw that him being born of a man 
sorry, born of a woman, I guess, makes him fully human. And only a human could pay the price for humanity's sins. Only the second Adam could pay the debt that the first Adam owed. That birth perfectly links the divinity and the full humanity of Christ. Scripture tells us that that perfect unity is found in one person and one person only, and that's Jesus. He was pleased to become one of us, to pay the price that none of us could pay, so that we may all be called heirs with God. Which leads us to our big idea today as we look ahead now, after Christmas past and Christmas present, into Christmas future. Which leads us to our big idea that the birth of Jesus on Christmas night forever altered history and is still radically changing the world around us. Jesus Christ changed the world forever. More books have been written about Christ than any other figure. More songs have been sung about Jesus than any other. other. He was born, he was born, and he transformed the very way we measure time. His birthday, his incarnation transformed time. We now go by B.C. before Christ and A.D. Uh, Anno Dominio, if I said that right, the year of our Lord. He changed the very way we measure time. In his name, through Christian people, slavery was overthrown. Everything from education to human rights, from public health to economic liberty, the things we cherish the most in this country, things we take for granted, all can be traced to the spiritual and cultural revolution started by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the central figure in history. So just like God's people could look forward to the cross, for the, to the cross, forward to the promises of the coming Messiah, we, on this side of the cross, get to look back. We get to see Jesus and know that God has made good on all his promises. You see, this is what I think the world at large has missed. That despite Christ being the central figure in history, his identity to some is still a mystery. See, it's not uncommon for people to understand that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. That's kind of background knowledge. Everybody, for the most part, has a vague recollection that Christmas is celebrating Jesus' birthday. Truth is, though, most people don't really want to talk about it. They don't care. And they don't care because they don't know what that means. People will put up nativity scenes, not because they understand the significance of what happened on that first Christmas, but because it's a Christmassy sort of decoration. Some will look at the scene and think it's a myth. They'll think that Jesus was just another man. They'll look at it and think he's a fictional character, even though everything you read and every history book you check will verify that he lived. They don't understand that it's the birth of the Savior. John Piper says it this way. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. It will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for our Savior. Our Savior. What Piper is saying to me is saying he, you can't understand the significance of Christmas until you understand our need for a Savior. Without that knowledge, Christmas is meaningless. You can't take Christ from Christmas. We say it at Bethlehem Walk all the time. The purpose of the manger was the cross. You can't have Christmas without understanding the point of Christmas is that Jesus came to go to the cross. 
See, sometimes we think and we celebrate Christmas like it's the end of the story. We can't articulate and tell our friends what Jesus did between the manger and the cross, what he did between Christmas and Easter. We detach the cross from the the manger. But when you understand and you can grasp that in that manger, a savior was born, then you see Christmas as not the end, but just the beginning. Which leads us to our first point of the moment this morning, that throughout history, Christmas is continuing to change the world because Jesus is still saving sinners by the power of his substitutionary death. Jesus didn't stay a baby. When he grew up, he changed the world. Sorry, I get parched. He changed the world by changing people around him. He gathered disciples together. He trained them how to live radically different in a world. He displayed his mercy, his compassion, his love to them. He revealed himself to them after after his resurrection. But that's not necessarily what changed them. What changed them is they knew him. They knew him for who he was and for what he had come to do. We can look through history and see this. We can see how Christianity spread from 11 people to 120 to 3,000, to 6,000, to 2 billion people professing the name of Christ in history today. We can look at Acts, and we can see how who Christ was changed one man radically from being an enemy of God, somebody who was bent on destroying our faith, into being one of the greatest champions of it. We can walk throughout history and see countless men and women who this fact, knowing Jesus, has changed them radically. We just finished a series through the Reformation, studying and learning about men and women who, knowing Christ, radically changed their lives. Men like John Knox, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Zwingli, tons of other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head. We can look around this room and we can see men and women who Christ has radically changed. Because we're here today because of that first Christmas. Because the gospel and that Jesus didn't just come to be born as a baby, but he came to die and to spread the good news to the nations. The kingdom of God is advancing. What started in a small major in an insignificant village has spread to the four corners of the globe. And we sit here, like I just said, because that mission is not yet complete. Jesus is still in the salvation business. He is still calling sinners to himself in repentance. He is still changing people from enemies to sons. On Christmas, we get to loudly and boldly proclaim this. We can proclaim that Christ is our Savior freely. You hear it in the malls, Christmas carols being sung, songs like, O Holy Night, O divine night, songs that declare that Jesus is the Savior and that Jesus is the King. We give gifts to each other that mirror the gift that God has first given us. We get to decorate and and celebrate our Savior and proclaim that he was born to the world. Christmas is an unequaled chance to tell the world what Jesus has done for us. 
Which leads us to our second point, and we want to continue reading in Hebrews before we get there. So let's go back to that now. I'll start right back in verse 1. Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by, by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Of all the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and the ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son of God, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That leads us to our second point this morning. Christmas is still changing the world today because Jesus is king of this world. And he is in the process of putting an end to injustice and oppression. So often, we get focused on the cross. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be focused on. But we forget that Jesus' coming was not just about restoring us to himself. He also brought the kingdom. Dr. Joe Boot, author and pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto, says the cross is only about half of what Jesus came to do. The other half is the reestablishment of his kingdom. We see this all throughout the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. Some call it the Gospel of the Kingdom. Jesus proclaimed that he brought the kingdom. We see this in Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began preaching, saying, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. We see it in Luke. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them, this is Jesus speaking, and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In Daniel, he proclaimed this. When, he, when God spoke to the prophet Daniel, he said, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. That's Daniel 7. Jesus brought the kingdom. Because part of what Adam did when he ate the forbidden fruit is he surrendered his inheritance to Satan. He, when he fell, gave Satan power over this world. He gave his dominion to Satan. So when Jesus came, he began the process of reestablishing his kingdom. Douglas Wilson once said to us that the Gospels can be summed up very quickly by saying, Jesus came to take the devil's stuff. 
This is what Jesus promised in the Old Testament when he said he would come and set up a kingdom that would never end. We flip to Isaiah 9, verses that at Christmas time are very, very familiar to us. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. It doesn't stop there. We know that part. It continues. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. That's the other half of the Christmas promise. One half that we would get a savior. And the other half is that we would get a king. Jesus ushered in a kingdom of peace, love and joy, community, and oneness with the Holy Spirit. It just didn't come as any of us expected. It came in seed form, slowly growing through men and women like us, who he has called to himself as we become more and more like Christ and spread the love of Christ to the nations around. That's where we come in. God left us a task to do, and that's to display his love to the world, to show the world his compassion, to show the joy in Christ we have, in other words, to take the gift that God gave us at Christmas to the ends of the earth. So many of our Christmas carols get the idea of the kingdom, the kingship of Christ, that Christmas is both the birth of a savior and of a king. O holy night, or sorry, O come all ye faithful, to worship Christ our newborn king. Joy to the world, let us receive our new king. Christ is the king of this world. So often we forget that God is just as in control today as he was before the cross, as he orchestrated events to lead to the cross. He's just as in control of the events in history today. We look around and we see our neighbors and our friends and we think they, Jesus could never save them, that they are outside the power of the gospel. And we forget that nothing and no one is beyond the reach of God. We think that there are people who would never accept Jesus, but that isn't true. God can do and will do and will continue to save sinners like us to himself. And that is what Christmas is all about. So Jesus could have done it in many different ways. He could have just written in the clouds that he is God and all knees would bow before him. But he left us a job to do. And that job is to win him back his inheritance. So when we look back at Christmas, when the mission started, we can look and know that God was faithful to fulfill his promises, which means we can also have assurance that we can look ahead and know that God will fulfill the good work he began in us and around us and keep his promises to put all government on his shoulders and his enemies as a footstool. We can also have assurance in ourselves that the good work that has started in us will be completed, that we will one day be in glory with him 
and that we will one day see Jesus coming again, whether we are here when it happens or with him in glory, as some of our members have recently found out, but it is better for them. Which leads us to our last point. Only in Christ can we understand what Christmas is all about. I'm going to tell you a story now about my childhood. It's about a Christmas that particularly stands out in time to me. I call it my Nintendo story. If you don't know what a Nintendo is, feel free to find me after the service. I will gladly tell you. So what I want you to do is think back to a moment in time when you wanted something so badly, so much that you could taste it, that you could physically feel the need for this gift, that if you didn't receive this thing, your life would just simply cease to exist. For me, this is when I was eight years old and the Nintendo Entertainment System became available. I wanted it so bad I could taste it. I wanted a Nintendo so bad I began campaigning to get one in April. So I remember thinking clearly as an eight-year-old boy, if I do more good, if I tip the scales in my favor, then my parents will have to give in and give me this Nintendo. I did more chores. I faithfully scrounged through the kitchens for change that I could put that would help go to pay for the Nintendo. Even as a child, I didn't really have a concept of money, but I knew that a Nintendo was a bigger than normal gift for me to receive. But I thought, if I do more, if I work harder, if I'm more good, more good, yeah, then maybe, just maybe, mom and grandma will give me a Nintendo. I was so convinced that this Nintendo would fill every need and void in my life that I wrote letters to my friends and family telling them to forego my birthday, forgo new school clothes, all of that stuff, just put everything towards me receiving a Nintendo. Well, as Christmas approached, my devious little mind thought, I need to hasten this process along. It's taking too long. 24 hours in a day is too much for a child. So I devised a way to fall asleep earlier every single night so that I could sleep. Because when you're a kid, when you sleep, it's time travel. You, wait, you go to bed, you wake up, it's a new day. So I began setting my alarm earlier and earlier, the week leading up to Christmas. It was one of those years where you had the week off before Christmas and the week after, so it was even longer because I didn't have school to distract me, which was a good thing. Uh, but I began setting my alarm clock earlier and earlier. I promise it's probably the only time in my life I've ever been up, been up before five. But I did, and my plan worked brilliantly. By Christmas Eve, I was so exhausted that I couldn't even finish dinner that by six o'clock, and that was with my grandma fighting to keep me awake, she had no choice but to relent and let me go to bed. My plan had worked. I would wake up and it would be Christmas morning. Well, I slept wonderfully. I slept and my eyes opened and it was still dark out so I knew I was early. It was great. So I leapt out of bed, threw on my PJs and raced out to the living room only to find that my grandma 
my aunt, and my mom were still watching the 11 o'clock news. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't slept till Christmas. I didn't even make it through Christmas Eve. After a few moments of stunned silence, I was quite thoroughly rushed back to my bedroom, which began the longest night recorded in human history. Agonizingly, I watched every hand tick on that clock until 6 a.m., which was the time they now banished me to my room till. I watched that clock, one of those old-fashioned alarm clocks, tick around painfully, staring at it, willing it, praying for it to move faster. Eventually, 6 o'clock came, and I was able to get out of bed and race back out to the living room. We began to open the gifts, and I tore through boxes and wrapping paper like a man on fire. I am convinced there's still wrapping paper attached to the ceiling of that house. I received socks. I received sweaters. Who cares? I threw them around like it was nothing. But eventually, all the gifts waned. And gift by gift, my desperation grew as there was no Nintendo to be found. Finally, the last gift came, and I ripped it open, convinced this giant box would be what my heart longed for. Instead, it was a train set that wasn't actually for me at all. But I opened it anyway. <laughs> no Nintendo was there. To say I, would be, I was devastated would be a lie. I was much worse than that. But I held myself together after a silent breakfast. I decided I should have a nap. Assuming this was just a bad dream, I would wake up and there would be a Nintendo. So I laid on my crouch. And my grandma came to me and asked, perplexed why I was upset. Rather than asking why I was acting like a spoiled brat, she just asked why I was upset. Unable to conceal my pain any longer, I looked up with her and smiled and said, I'm okay. And she said, go to your room. I trudged off to my room, not sure how I'm the victim here. But even at that age, I knew to do what I was told, so I trudged to my room. Tears now welling in my eyes, not sure what I've done wrong and how grievously my parents could miscalculate. But as I shut the door in my room, blurry, tear-filled eyes, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I noticed a plastic gray box sitting under my Charlie Brown tree on my dresser in my room with sharp red letters that I'll never forget that said Nintendo Entertainment System. The Nintendo was there in my room all along. Sometime in the night, when I was convinced I stayed awake, staring at the clock, my grandma had stealthily walked in like a ninja and placed that Nintendo there, assuming that the first thing I would see when I woke up was the Nintendo. But I stand here today to tell you that I didn't see it. I just leapt up and was so focused on getting to the living room that I missed what was obvious in front of me. I would also love to stand up here today and tell you that that Nintendo fulfilled every desire I had 
that it changed me. That it made me see the errors of my selfish ways. But it didn't. I played with it for a few months. And when I mastered Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, I put it away. And I moved on to the next must thing, must need, next thing that would fill that hole in me, that next thing that would make me a complete man. And I moved on. But that morning did teach me much later in life, though, two important lessons. First, that sometimes the things you need most are right in front of you. We can be so blind sometimes to see what we really need. We try to fill this void with food, with money, sex, status, fancy toys, relationships, drugs, alcohol, even work. Sometimes we try to fill it with good things, service, and being busy, even doing good things, charity, and whatnot. But what we don't see is that thing we need is Jesus, and he is the only thing that can fulfill all our needs. Christ is the only thing that can fill that void. So instead, we attempt to fill this need with all the wrong things, which leads me to the second lesson I learned that morning, that no gift or object will ever satisfy. Only Christ can fill that void in us. It's what all the Christmas movies are about. If you watch Christmas movies, even the Christmas Carol, this holiday season, enjoy them. They're good, they're funny. I encourage you to watch them. But I encourage you to catch what they're telling you you need. Every single one of them will tell you you need a certain thing, you need a certain relationship, that having that perfect Christmas with your family, getting that perfect gift will change you, will make you happy, and then you will go forward into your world then as a happy, changed person. And that's a lie. All the secular Christmas movies are about that. Christmas doesn't tell us that, though. When we know what Christmas is, when we look at it and see that it is the birth of a Savior, and we see it as the birth of a King, we see that only, Christmas, only with those things can we really have what Christmas is all about, and that's Jesus. We can never have peace or joy or community or real generosity or love, without the gift that God gave us at Christmas, Jesus. We have to allow Christ to be the center of our Christmas, which means we have to allow Christ to be the transforming agent in us and in our world at this time of year. So that that need that your neighbors have, that we all recognize in movies and in each other this time of year, that people will think Christmas morning will fill only to find out on Boxing Day that they needed to go to the mall to buy more stuff. That, that need can only be filled when you know who Jesus is. When Jesus is the thing that satisfies your soul and makes you whole. And the good news is that when you understand that, Jesus doesn't just satisfy you on December 25th. He satisfies you every day of the year. 
So how then should we celebrate? By living Christian values year-round. For a long time, this world has known what Christians are against. That in itself isn't a bad thing. To be for something means we have to be against something else. You can't stand for truth and a lie. You can only stand for one. If you stand for truth, you are, gen- you are automatically opposed to the lie. But I think a lot of us, not necessarily in this room, but the church as a whole, has lost the idea of telling the world what we're for. It's time we start proclaiming to the world what we stand for at Christmas, not just what we stand against. Doug Wilson said to us once that it's time the world started reacting to us as a church instead of us reacting to them. It's time that our love and our compassion, our joy and our hope starts making the world have to react to how the church responds to the poor, how we serve and love our neighborhoods, our communities, our neighbors, despite where they are, what they struggle with, and what sins they have. It's time we stop looking at our neighbor across the street and defining him as my gay neighbor or my neighbor who's cheating on his wife or whatnot. We start seeing them as image bearers of God and loving them for who they are and getting to know them in relationship with them, and then we can proclaim the truth and see them changed by the power of Christ. We do this by becoming the peacemakers in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. We do this by fighting for injustice, by standing up for the ones who can't stand up for themselves, for the unborn, for the people who can't fight their own battles. We live as Christians year-round and as, as if it's Christmas year-round. We need as a church to locally and globally be the light of the world. We need to be the ones looking after the poor and speaking change in the culture. It's time we start remembering all the ways Jesus has changed history and start to change it back. It's time we become the voice of change in our PTAs, that we become the voice of change in our schools, in our workplaces, in our city councils, in our factories, everywhere. Too long has the church hid the light that we have been proclaimed to share and the joy of Christmas behind our own walls, only to burst forth at Christmas and Easter and ask people to come visit us. It's time that we, as a church, go out into the world and proclaim that Jesus is the Savior and the King and the only thing that people need. We need to bring the light of Christ to shine 
in all we do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the one who Christmas is all about. Thank you that we can celebrate you this Christmas season, that we can look back to your life and your ministry and see an example of how we are to live in this culture today. Thank you, God, that you are still a God who is working and active in our world this evening, in this day. Thank you that you are a God who has not left us or abandoned us, Father, that you are as much on display now as you were 2,000 years ago. Father, we pray that this Christmas we would become the light of the world, that we would display your love, your glory, and your mercy to the world. And Father, we just pray right now that if anyone here does not know you as King and Savior, that they would not leave this place this morning, Father, without speaking to one of the elders, myself, or whoever they've come with, that this would be a time that they would bow the knee to King Jesus and recognize their their need for a Savior. Father, we just pray right now as we go that you would bless the season to us, that you would help us keep Christ-centered this Christmas. And as we celebrate with gifts and food and all the good things that you provide to us at Christmas, that we would not be distracted by those things, but we would be focused on you at Christmas is about you. In your precious and holy name. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, write a review, and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you, so if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and you may now consider yourself part of the Rebellion.